This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, January 23, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. Three years since the Citizens United decision allowed more players to get into political advocacy, what has been the impact? Ray LaRaja is Associate Professor of Political Science at UMass Amherst. We spoke following the Cato Institute's conference on campaign finance and freedom of speech held today. Several years ago, you produced a study for the Cato Institute regarding the effects of campaign finance rules on states and incumbents versus challengers. You found that some restrictions uh, harmed the fundraising of incumbents, but the same restrictions were more likely to harm the prospects of challengers since Citizens United, since SpeechNow.org. Where do you think that's headed and, and uh, with regard to state-level elections? Well, there are some significant changes. The, 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 the previous study I worked on was trying to show that when you restrict money to challengers, they fare worse. So you want more money to go to challengers. Citizens United seems to open that up for them. But here's the other part of the puzzle that I'm struggling with. Uh, it doesn't seem to be that Citizens United has made much of an impact on election outcomes. Now, why is that? I ask myself. So one reason can be that these groups have simply adapted to the environment. Simple as that. Another reason is through the adaptation, there's an arms race going on and they're just spending more money. And what do we know about financial spending? The last marginal dollar doesn't have as much of an impact. So these places could be saturated in some instances, not making much of a difference. That said, I still think that challengers do better when there's more money in the system than if there's not. Now, Citizens United was decided in early 2010. We're here on the third anniversary of, of that case. So we haven't really had two full election cycles. It seems like in 2010, a lot of candidates were still trying to figure out what that, what that meant as they were beginning to set up groups. What has happened to campaign spending, at least in the presidency, again, with just one presidential election since Citizens United? Well, with one presidential election, we've already seen money moving to these outside groups tremendously. It's just simply easier to raise money this way, especially because of the Speech Now argument. Those two together. So you put Citizens United plus Speech Now equals super PACs. It's just financially more feasible to raise money that way, raise and spend it. So we are seeing money move away from the political parties, which I think are are organizations well suited to being involved in campaigns. They're more transparent, they're accountable, they're coalitions. It's moving out to these other groups. Political talent is moving to the other groups. It's not because of Citizens United. It's it's also because of the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act, which took away the party soft money and groups already started to form. But with the Citizens United decision and subsequent decision, all bets are off. We see money and talent flowing to these organizations. Groups like the Sunlight Foundation have been really critical of the fact that so much of this money is when it moves to what you call outside groups, what they would call dark money groups, that so much of this money is moving to these groups. Their complaint seems to be that, well, uh, it's the same personnel. These are largely the same people running these organizations. And I'm not sure exactly what the what the argument is. Well, they are the same people. I mean, we've, we've heard... Uh, today at a symposium how it makes total sense for um, for someone who's been involved in campaigns to be running these outside organizations. So the question is, 
the accountability. Who's who's really accountable for these organizations? Um, do people know who they are? Who's doing the fundraising for them? And those are very difficult empirical questions to answer. And so it's hard for the law to deal with this as well. Since Citizens United, since Speech Now, uh, a lot of the focus on Congress with the uh, at the urging of the president has been let's get disclosure uh, as a primary tool for allowing people to understand who's giving what money to what campaigns. And now that disclosure is trying to make that spill over into uh, super PACs, which uh, as a benefit to a lot of donors is, look, I don't have to reveal uh, who is giving us money. How do you evaluate this uh, this push for disclosure of, of contributions, not just to campaigns, but also to outside groups? It's a difficult issue because obviously one purpose of the disclosure law is to discourage some anonymous donors uh, from giving. On the other hand, Justice Scalia has argued, listen, in democracy, you got to be tough. You got to be able to say who you are and speak your case. So it really depends on whether you think the anonymity is uh, chilling speech um, for people who might not otherwise get involved. Um, or if you think uh, other people have a right to know who's making the comments and where that money's coming from. And I, I understand that it may be an empirical question whether or not these chilling effects are real, but of course, chilling effects are notoriously hard to measure. Exactly. They're very hard to measure. I've d one concern I have about the disclosure is we've, we've gone overboard in focusing on small donors. I mean, we ask people who give $10, $25, $30. At the federal level, it's $200. I think it's ridiculous to ask people for a lot of private information who give small amounts. I, it, I did a study that showed people either drop out or they try to give just under that amount. So you're discouraging people from participating who are hardly corrupt. You're not going to corrupt an official for $200. Um, so um, I think we have to refocus and, and, and say, what's the purpose of, of disclosing this information and where do we benefit most from this information in terms of the democratic process? I don't think we need to focus on those small donors who are just getting involved because they like a candidate. One of the points that you made at the event uh, today was that contrary to a lot of claims of an explosion in spending in elections, spending has leveled off or by some measures has actually declined. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yes, I was surprised. People in the newspapers have been talking about this explosion of outside spending and um, un, you know, unseemly amounts being election. But when I looked at the total numbers, it seems like it stayed flat. Now, there's a good explanation for why it would stay flat. Um, we had uh, Congress really wasn't in play in this election the way it was in 2010. So less money flows when people don't think Congress is going to be taken over. In the presidential election, we had only a Republican nomination process that would be contested rather than two parties. So, so those reasons right there. But it just goes to show you that it gets, you know, the, the notion that money is exploding is an overused uh, word because what's really happening is a redistribution. We're having more uh, super PACs get involved. So that's a question we should focus on. You also mentioned in the Q&A portion of the event today that you actually liked witnessing the sort of internal machinations uh, within groups and among groups yeah. about where to spend money. Yeah. And super PACs, and, and from what I've learned about polling, you, different people who are very smart can look at the same polling data and say, 
Clearly, we need to spend money here. Clearly, we need to spend money there. So even to the extent that there's coordination among mm -hmm. these various super PAC groups, it's not clear that uh, it's going to be particularly productive. Right. It's, it's not clear to me. I mean, that's the problem with a lot of campaigns. Everyone says, we need money, we need money, but we're not really sure which money, which pot of money makes the difference. So we try a lot of different things. The reason I like groups getting together and talking is um, – especially within an organization like a party because it makes everyone accountable to one another. If you're spending money on a race at the top of the ticket and it's hurting down ticket races, the local party people or their local candidates are going to tell them. And there has to be some compromise about that. Whereas with the super PACs, um, they're supporting one candidate and that's it. Forget about the other people, the little people. So I, I do like the give and take that goes on within a campaign because I think it makes um, the party uh, broaden its message and whom, who it represents. The fact that so much of the campaign election money is moving out of campaigns and into groups, does that in your, your view discipline uh, candidates? Does it change how they are likely to approach electoral politics or approach their own election yeah. and re-election? Yeah. I don't think we'll ever get groups out of it. And I don't think we want to. I think groups have always been involved in elections. Um, the problem is groups are now becoming the biggest players in elections, which I think is a concern because when that happens, now you're – I wouldn't use the word quid pro quo corruption, but now you're letting these groups who some of them we don't know uh, what they stand for uh, set the agenda of political campaigns, um, sometimes uh, in ways that focus on a very narrow slice of the population, what their preferences are. And what I mean by setting the agenda is candidates are afraid to talk about stuff when they're in Congress because uh, they fear a deluge of spending by one or two groups um, that happen to oppose them. Again, I don't mind outside spending like that so long as um, there are other groups that can quickly support that challenger. Uh, so. So we get a robust discussion of issues. I don't want a situation in which a few groups say this is what we're talking about. I'd rather have a more robust conversation. I'm, I'm thinking of yeah. 1992, Ross Perot, yeah. who put the budget deficit really front and center exactly. in, in the 92 campaign. But the only way for him to do that functionally was to either spend a bunch of money buying ads to talk about things or run for president. Right which he did and uh, got 20 percent of the vote or 19 percent of the vote. Uh, does campaign finance – do campaign finance restrictions that existed then, does that make this kind of freewheeling discussion that you want more or less likely in your view? I think less likely because in some ways – I mean because – well, I mean that's an interesting – that's an interesting example you use of Ross Perot. He's obviously a wealthy man. Um, in some ways – by allowing more money into the system through big checks, you actually would get a more robust debate. That's the, that's the trick. Can you ensure that it's not just a few groups controlling the debate? And in this case, Ross Perot came in with his own money and decided to run for president. I think one of the, one of the uh, sins of the campaign finance laws is it really hurts third parties. I would love to see people running candidates on third party tickets who have a robust pool of money to get their message out. Eugene McCarthy. Exactly. 1968. Right. It wasn't his money. Right. It was the money of a few millionaires right. who said, I, we want yeah. this anti-war right. platform right. to have to right. be front and center. Exactly. So in that sense, getting more money at the system is good. I think 
what what we have is a system that candidates cannot take that money, but they hire groups or get interest groups that kind of like some of their issues to get involved, and and it's less clear debate what's going on. It's not people are saying, is that really the candidate who's doing that? So I would like to see candidates have more access to that money. Again, I, I think interest groups should be involved in this. I just don't think a few select interest groups should be the players. Rayla Rogers, Associate Professor of Political Science at UMass Amherst. We spoke following the Cato Institute's conference on campaign finance reform and freedom of speech. You can watch the event at our website, cato.org.